So the funny thing is that in video production, when I'm doing editing, finding the opening for a video is like the easiest thing for me. But when it comes to the podcast, trying to find a way to start talking is actually my least favorite part of the podcast, mainly because I'm the one who has to be talking to start out. I can't just like kick it off to you. Um, So anyway, I guess this qualifies as the beginning of this podcast. (laughs) Welcome back to the Strong Catholic Dad podcast. We actually just opened up a new Facebook group called Strong Catholic Dads and Moms. And uh, you're welcome to join. Search for it on Facebook. It's a great way to interact with us and other people who are part of the Strong Catholic Dad community. Um, One of the things that we want to use that group for is a place to kind of take ideas for what to discuss on the podcast. And our good friend Tony Kurzendorfer actually posted within a couple of days of the group opening and said that you gave him some parenting advice that he never forgot. That's right. Uh, I had forgotten that I had given him that advice. And so uh, it kind of was one of those things that just like went into my way of doing things. Um, And that advice was that we need to, as parents, praise in public and correct in private. And Tony, Tony said that that really impacted him and that changed how he parented. And I, and I think that for myself, uh, I had a priest friend who once said that a, a good homilist is a good thief. Well, I stole that concept from uh, the business world. And, uh, and I applied it in, <clears throat> in family life because I started to uh, realize that uh, I w- in order just to be expeditious, to get things done quickly, it's almost faster to quickly correct uh, right here. Like, here's the problem. Let's get it corrected and move on um, and not really be in tune to, is this the best time to correct? Uh, in business, I was doing that. I was saying, well, okay, this person's off, but we're sitting in a group with everybody and let me talk to them privately. Why? Um, to save face. Um, and also, uh, it can be pretty harsh to do that. Um, and, uh, when, and so I just put myself in that position when I'm getting corrected and if I'm getting corrected, first of all, let's all admit it. It is hard to be corrected. <laughs> like we don't, we don't like to be corrected. Our kids don't like to be corrected. And so, uh, when I'm being corrected, if it's in front of other people, automatically, I'm also very aware of all of the eyes on me and everybody listening. And so, um, and that puts a whole different dynamic. And when I'm worried about or aware of everybody listening to me, then uh, it changes on how well I listen. And I'm, and it's almost like, uh, it's almost like somebody turned the lights up really bright. (laughs) It's like, I'm kind of squinting. And then if whoever's correcting me is, is wanting me to get the impact of their correction, uh, I'm actually getting far more than the impact. And it it might even feel like somebody just dialed that sucker up to 10 (laughs) and that you're screaming at me and it might be a little correction. Um, So, uh, when it comes to uh, parenting, um, I, I find that, that that's been, been really helpful advice. And Tony's comment was that he shared that with a lot of other uh, parents who have, who have found it to be helpful. And I, and I think about that and I think, gosh, you know what, I even, I've seen in many other families where that doesn't happen. Um, and, I, and because I'm aware of well, that concept. Well, it's, because it's a deliberate step. Because I think, mm. for instance, when I was back home over Christmas, there was a point where one of the little kids went running upstairs screaming about something. And I don't remember who it was. It was either one of us older kids or it was one of the parents who was like, Hey, don't go upstairs. Don't do this, whatever, which is the natural response in a moment like that. But everybody was around to hear it. And I think the person giving the correction is often just thinking about the correction that needs to be imparted. Whereas the person receiving it is aware of all the other eyeballs. Yeah, absolutely. And actually I remember that happening and the little one who ran upstairs 
did continue on upstairs and then crumpled into tears. Um, so there is there is an impact that goes well beyond sometimes what what is expected. So I, I think that's it's well said is like what is um, you know what's the intent and then like make sure that you're taking a, a intentionally another step, which is like does this is this the time? Um, is this the time to do it? Uh, and then that does well, bring... it falls into something I learned about fairly recently is the um, sender and receiver model of communication, mm. which is that like the sender has to be concerned not just about like what they're saying, but also how the receiver is receiving it. Otherwise, mm. the communication doesn't isn't effectively communicated. And, and for me, I used to think like, why should I worry about how you are responding to what I'm mm -hmm. saying? You should just understand it the way that I meant it. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that like in a perfect world, it should actually be 50-50. I should be trying to speak in a way that I think you should understand and you should be listening, giving me the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. And in the, or in the imperfect world in which we live, and especially when you've got kids whose maturity levels are hopefully much lower than the adults, you're going to have to meet more than halfway there. And you're going to have to be very hyper aware of how the kid is understanding what you're saying. Yes. And, and what is it that they're understanding? Because uh, oftentimes, at least the way that I corrected, and I did correct, I corrected harshly. Um, the, the message that came across along with the correction was, you are bad. <laughs> like you're a bad person. And so, and that even came out like, like out of the mouth of babes, there was a time I was correcting uh, one of my kids and that's exactly what she said. She's like, I'm bad, you know, I'm no good, you know, I should die. And, and that was things that the older kids had said too. Uh, it just didn't sink in as much as to like, do you realize how, how much that, you know, you thought that you gave a number three correction and they, and the way that you did it, it turned into a number, number 10 correction, but to feel like you want to die. And so what did I do? I was harsh, you know, young dad. I was like, no, don't talk like that. You know, that's, it's suicide is a sin. And so then I started correcting more, which what, you know, actually I wasn't correcting more. I was bludgeoning <laughs> you or whoever it was that I was saying it to. And it was just like, and it was way too much. And in the moment, all that my child was trying to do was express that like, this hurts so much that I don't want to exist anymore. That's intense. <laughs> you know, like I need to get, I need to look into the mode of the receiver and say, wow, is that, you know, I, I wish somebody at that point uh, could have come alongside of me as a dad and said, you know, is that how you want your child to receive this so that they are, they feel such despair that they want to die. And I would probably say, well, actually the, this, this really didn't need that much of, of a correction. It's like, but that's how, that's how they took it. It's like, well, that's not what I intended. doesn't matter. <laughs> like if you love someone and that's that's always the question that I think is really helping helpful to say like do I love them and if I love them and then I have to sometimes stop and say yes and like well do I want them to misunderstand me no um do I need to be the big boy and put on my big boy pants and then uh, address them in a way that that's going to be helpful I do um and then what's the difference um because you can have the spoken message and then the received message, as, as you mentioned. Um, what a difference it would make if the spoken message is, uh, is combined with an unspoken message that says, I love you and I know that this is hard and I'm trying to figure out a way to say this to you in a way that doesn't say you're bad because you're not bad. You know, we, we all make mistakes. And I did not have that attitude. <laughs> like uh, I had, had the attitude of like, well, the thing is that you did was bad. And I was like, well, okay, that, you know, what, what's going on here? 
what's truly going on is me. <laughs> is it like I've ramped up into anger and I'm using this, uh, you, my child, as uh, basically as a, you know, I'm pummeling you and I'm venting my anger. Um, as opposed to stepping back and saying, well, that's all about, that is very selfish. It's selfish of, selfish of me to vent in that way. And I could have even misunderstood what went on. And I had an, uh, an example of that where I had a child in the bathroom and, and, uh, and there was some tissue. And I said, you know, I just want you to stand here right now and just hold on the tissue. Don't do anything. Um, and then a couple other things happened. And I walked out of the bathroom. I came back into the bathroom and the tissue had been thrown away. And I was furious that she moved because I told her, don't move. Um, again, being too harsh here. Um, and so then I uh, raised my voice about like, why did you throw it away? You, you weren't supposed to do that. And she was in a puddle of tears. And it was only after the fact, and I gave her a consequence. Uh, and it was only after the fact that we were talking it through. And she said, Dad, you don't remember, but you took the tissue out of my hand and you're the one who threw it away. I was just like, oh my gosh. And then I remembered it was me. Um, so like, I totally blew that. Um, now, praise God, in that moment, uh, I was able to do <laughs> what needed to be done, which was empathize, listen, empathize, and just tell her like, I am so sorry, you know, sweetheart, like, you're right. I am totally wrong. Um, like daddy needs a consequence. Like, you know, you know, go ahead and spank my bottom. Well, she started to laugh at that, which was good, <laughs> but like I deserved a spanking. Like that was, that was abuse. I mean, that was, that was out of line. And so it's uh, like in, in correcting and in parenting, the hardest thing to do is to correct and parent myself <laughs> as I enter into parenting. Um, and to not be so worried about getting things done. So that adage of correct in uh, private uh, does as well mean, you know, correct myself first, you know, monitor uh, myself. And then the corollary to it, of course, is praise in public, which is like, that's huge. <laughs> the the uh, um, I have I have a friend and she was on a retreat and her her parents had written her a, a letter just saying how much they loved her. And she broke down into tears and one of the teachers came up to her and said, you know, like, uh, don't like, why are you crying so much? Like, I know you're really moved by this. Don't you know that your parents love you? And she said like, yes. I, like, and then she was embarrassed that she was crying. And she said, yeah, yeah, I, I know. Um, and then after she, and it took her time to process that. But after what she realized is that she knew here that they loved her, but she didn't know in her heart. So it was like, it sank into her heart. But then the question comes back to is like, why wasn't that in her heart? And, it, and what had happened is as, as parents, which I did the same thing, um, she didn't, she wasn't praised in public when she was around. She, after the fact, heard that she was being praised by her parents to her siblings and to others, but she never heard that. And there's something so powerful when you really mean it is that, and when you look for the good, you can find it. Um, when you look for the good in your children and you, and you praise them in public where it's appropriate, um, it like, it means more. Uh, it's like those eyeballs that we talked about just a little bit ago that make it painful and more difficult to accept correction actually imprint and act and help the praise be even more impactful in public. And I remember a specific instance of it where I was just shocked. I was at, um, actually I was at Catholic Family Land and there was a family that was presenting on stage. Uh, and I remember it was actually was Dr. Lappert. And Dr. Lappert um, had four or five kids and they were gonna sing and he introduced each of his children. And as he introduced them, he didn't just say, hey, this is my son, Dan. Like he said, this is my son, Dan. And, um, and he is, he acts. 
and he also writes and and uh, and he's really good at and he listed these things that his son was good at um and then his next child he introduced that one and with each one he complimented him them and i thought that was great but what struck me was like i don't do that and i was so and i thought his kids i mean here he is on stage praising his children in a heartfelt way. And I was like, how, and all the eyeballs then were, were searing in, but it wasn't a bad sear. Like it was, it was a great, uh, a great impact on them. And, and then a, an impact on me. Like, I thank you, Dr. Lappert for praising your, your children in public. Cause when I saw that, I realized, look at the power of this. And I actually even thought like, wow, I was like impressed by his kids, which I should be, you know, every, as St. Faustina, our Lord said to St. Faustina, every soul is a universe unto itself. So people are amazing um, and parents get to see that. And so then we need to be like heralds of the amazingness of our children, um, not just so that other people can see, but oftentimes so that our kids can see themselves the way that God sees them. I mean, that's my role. And so I want to praise them in public because even Christ was praised in public by his father. And so it's like, I'm following that example. There were three times when a voice spoke from heaven and said, you are my well-beloved son in whom I am pleased. And you think, you know, like, okay, God, God, God is praising in public for everybody to hear. There is power in that. And it's important for us to imitate it. Wow. That is definitely not something I'd ever thought of before. And that's incredible. I want to loop back to, uh, to something here. We were talking about the kid running up the stairs and yelling, don't run up the stairs. And in this context of, of overly harsh parenting, um, how much of it is not so much the technique, but the underlying quote unquote offense? Because there was a story I heard, um, and this is where not being a parent, I'd love to get your feedback on this, about some parent who, who their kids started throwing spaghetti against the wall and the kid was whatever, two, three, pretty young. And the parent just realized, like, you know what? These walls, we can paint over them. We can clean them. It's not that big of a deal. Me depriving the child of the joy that they're experiencing right now is a much bigger deal than the cleanup afterwards. Um Growing up for me, for sure, that is something that if I had done spaghetti against the wall, I would have been in huge trouble. Do you think there's a place for kind of analyzing whether these different things that that you're pushing back on need to be pushed back on in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and uh, you know, for people listening, if you wonder, OK, did the O'Rourke's correct in harsh way or, or lenient way like we were too harsh? Um, and, the, and That's why I wanted to start with this episode, because <laughs> I know how to talk about this one. <laughs> Which is uh, whatever. Hopefully, it'll be fortunate for our listeners. Um, the I would say that uh, let me back up and address what you're saying, but also back up when it comes to uh, correcting in in private. Uh, there is a time when it's appropriate to correct in public, um, and you have to discern it. So, like, it's not it, it's not a hard and fast rule. Um, so there there may be a point, and I can think of a time. Um, uh, and I'm going to digress and we'll come back, but a, a story where I was corrected in public and it was really hard to, to face until after the fact when I realized what was really happening. And so as a little boy, uh, my dad had taken us all up fishing and we were fishing up at Shaver Lake and uh, above, above Fresno, California. And we were having a great time and the water, lake water was low and all of these fish were like right there. We could see them right off the shore. And so for little kids and dads, like it's, it's great. And my mom was there. Um, we could catch fish. And so that's what you want to do. You want your children to have the delight of catching fish. So in the delight of catching fish, 
uh, the, uh, we caught a whole bunch of fish. Well, there were these other families that were there and they were catching fish and we knew them from church. Uh, the problem was the other families didn't realize um, that they were gonna do so well catching fish and they hadn't brought an ice chest with them. My dad had brought, a, brought an ice chest. And so as families would leave, and we weren't even there but a couple hours just because we had so many fish, um, they didn't have a way to bring their fish back down the hill um, to down to Fresno. It's about a 45 minute drive back down. And so they said, hey, Ron, to my dad, you know, can we put the fish in, in your ice chest? And he's like, oh, sure, I'll take them down the hill for you. And so he filled up the ice chest with their fish and he was going to distribute it when we got back down in, into Fresno. And so as we were walking up um, the hill, uh, I was hollering. I was talking about all the fish that we had. And my dad started cracking me. He's like, hey, Michael, be, be quiet. I was like, dad, but we didn't. Michael, be quiet. And he got really harsh with me. And I and so like I was grumpy. And so like he's holding the ice chest and we get up the hill and he puts the, <laughs> the ice chest in the back of the car. Uh, and he goes, everybody get in the car. And so we, we get in the car and I was just like, man, he was really mean to me. Um, and as we're driving down the hill, he said, uh, he said, he said, he said, Michael, um, the reason that I was telling you to be quiet is as we were walking up the hill, the game warden was walking down the hill <laughs> and, and it's an extra hundred bucks per fish <laughs> for the ones that you catch over the maximum. And even though I've got, you know, you four boys who have just caught a lot of fish, we had far more. This would be several hundred dollars, maybe a thousand, couple thousand dollars um, of penalties. And it made sense what we were doing. We were helping people, but it didn't matter. The rule says if you have them in your possession. So there's a situation where, you know, it's, it's not always a hard and fast rule where it would have been, it was really helpful for, um, for you know, as a parent to be like, you know, this correction needs to happen right now. I mean, this is how uh, we need to do it. And even being harsh because I wasn't responding. And so like he had to be harsh to get my attention. So I, I just wanted to tell people, it's like the rules are great, but God has given you this wonderful thing. And it's like your free will and your heart to where you can listen and discern in a situation, what makes sense? Is this the best way to do it? Um, and sometimes the rule you're going to change, you're going to break the rule. Um, so well, even Jesus was harsh. I mean, he, he mm. threw people out of the temple with, with a cord and he tossed tables. Like there's an appropriate time to take that up to a 10. Yes. And, and so then let's bring it back to spaghetti on the wall, um, which is, which is a, a great example. Um, is there a time to have spaghetti on the wall? I think it's okay at times to have spaghetti on the wall. Um, but you have to discern that if we're trying to get out the door quickly for some event, then right now is not the time to do artistic spaghetti against the wall. Um, but I would say that there's probably far more opportunities for that. Um, and I, and I know for sure as a, um, as a dad, like I didn't like to get, uh, I didn't like to get wet or have some kind of slop on me. And so, uh, and Maria would, would joke about it. Like you know, little kids, kids are messy and <laughs> they come up and they would give me a hug and I'd be like, Oh, oh, oh and I'd almost be, re I would reject the hug because I didn't want to get like peanut butter or whatever it was that they had all over them. I didn't want it on me. And, uh, and, and Maria was always saying like, you know, Michael, you know, like, do you realize you just rejected, you didn't just reject the hug. They took that harshly as you rejected them. Is that what you wanted? I was like, yeah, but you know, here I'm acting like a little kid. I didn't want to be dirty. <laughs> and she's like, you know, it's the cost of love. Uh, and so I was like, okay, so um, yeah, I have to make that decision. So coming back to that, um, I think it's kind of freeing 
to uh, to use your heart, use your head and say, is this a time where we're kind of going to break these rules and let them be messy? And we have some really fun, and I'm sure other parents have these too, really fun pictures of when the kids were messy. Uh, there was a time when Madeline was a little girl and uh, Madeline is now 20, 22, uh, graduated from college. But when she was two, so 20 years ago, uh, we were in the backyard and we were cleaning the deck. And there was a chair that we had put on the side and there's this cute picture of her um, sitting on the chair that's laid on its set and she's leaning back uh, at it. And for her and her imagination, um, she had it, she had a whole world that was happening. And there and because of of stripping the deck and using water, there was mud all around. And so she was then taking the mud and she was drawing like on the chair and on her face. And she, and uh, and she looked um, she looked like Pigpen from uh, from the. Uh, peanut series. I mean, she just looked like a mess. Um, and at the time, we just thought, well, we can, uh, when we're done spraying the deck, we can spray down Madeline. So let her go. She had a ball. And it's actually one of her one of her favorite memories. And it's probably a memory as well, because we took the picture and we think it's cute. And so it's it's available. So as a little, you know, she looks back on that. But uh, but the, the message in there was that she was really enjoying herself and the dirt actually was fine. And, it, you know, like we were able to clean it, clean her up after. Um, so I think um, sometimes the uh, allowing our kids to get into and even ourselves into the messiness of life really brings a lot of joy and i think of how how much um fun and just relationship building that i shut down because when you guys came at me with a snowball or a water balloon i was like oh and i would get harsh oh i don't want to deal with that it's like well why not you know do i mean because the the deeper question is you know there might be a reason not to deal with it right now but the deeper question is like do you love you know, what, what's the loving thing to do in this moment? And can we really enjoy our relationship when we just like start plastering each other with some snowballs? Um, because some of those are the funnest, <laughs> the funnest memories. Um, but we need, we need the leeway to be able to do that. And I think it's helpful to ask, to really ask the question, why would this be inappropriate in context? Because what comes to mind with this, with the spaghetti analogy, especially if the kids three or four, not one or two, um, is that, the answer is that it's going to take time to clean up. And if you choose to to enjoy that moment with your kid, allow them to throw the spaghetti on the wall and do something like that because they're having an absolute blast, maybe depending on the edge, age of the kid, it's appropriate to also have them participate to whatever degree they mm. can in cleaning up because you're letting them know why the rule exists. Uh, th- this makes me think of... Coming from a family of lots of kids, uh, there were tons of dishes to do. And the way that in our house it all got divided up was that mom made dinner, but then one of the kids was assigned lunch dishes for the day and one of the kids was assigned dinner dishes for the day. And so I had one one of each per week. Um, and I remember asking, like, why do I have to do these dishes? Like, there's so many more than I would have to do on my own. And the reason I got to me didn't really register on any level where I could tell you what it was. It felt like I was being told this is an equitable trade. And when I moved out and started doing my own dishes, I remember mom saying like, you're going to move out and realize just how much we did for you. And you want to know something? She was dead wrong. I moved out and I had to do one tenth of the dishes, cook one tenth of the food, clean one tenth of the everything. And everything that I had to clean was my own stuff that I'd left out. So I was like, well, this is my problem. I'm going to have to deal with it. So what you're saying about like choosing to love, that would have been a great way to say, you know what, when you're on your own, it is going to be easier. But as a part of this family, you know, you're participating in 
in the love of the family, you know, and in the service that comes from that. And you're going to have more responsibilities than the little kid, but everybody can participate in their own way. And so that's where I think like taking some of these opportunities where the rule might say, don't throw spaghetti up against the wall. It's like, well, why? Cause we're going to have to clean it. Okay. You can help with cleaning that. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a, that brings to mind actually even a, a story where I blew the rule. Um, the, uh, when I'm, when I'm in my office, if I'm, if we're doing a podcast and I'm in my office, or if I'm uh, working on an article and, and writing something, I'll lock my office door and I'll close the blinds and put out a message like, do not disturb. And, um, and I just, and that's the rule and there, and there's a reason for the rule. And it just happened actually <laughs> yesterday that I, that I had done that, um, and sure enough, my seven-year-old who um, doesn't like to follow the rules um, came and she opened the door. Actually, I hadn't locked it, but was shot. she opened the door anyways. And I was really harsh towards her. Um, and I was pushing to finish this article. And uh, and so she opened up. She's like, Dad. And I said, what? You know, it's like, and what's that say? Like, you're annoying me. You're bad. I mean, I, 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 I just said, what? That's all I said. No, no, no. I said, what? With, with a lot behind it, with a slap behind it. And, uh, and almost as if I had slapped her, she kind of put her head down and she said, well, um, I just want to know if, if you wanted me to ask someone to make a sandwich for you for lunch. And she looked up at me. And at the time, part of the reason I was wanting to get done is because I was really hungry <laughs> and I wanted uh, to go and get some lunch. Um, and I thought, well, I'll just finish this article, then I'll go and get my lunch. And I looked at her and I just like, I melted. I thought, boy, um, here she is coming to do a good thing for me. And I'm being harsh in response to her. And so I said, I said, you know what, Vivian? I said, like, thank you so much for thinking of me. And I am sorry I, I was harsh uh, towards you. Um, please do when the door's shut, you know, I'd prefer for you not to come in, but like, you know, thanks for thinking of me. And uh, yes, I'd like a sandwich. She got a big smile. She ran out of my office and I got a big smile because I'm like, I am hungry. <laughs> so I'm delighted with that. Uh, but that comes back uh, to this, um, you know, making an intentional decision. Am I going to, like, I need to, in every situation, love. And one of the saints said, you know, you need to look at every time when there's an interruption and it, first of all number one is expect interruptions and it's like well gosh i'm that's hard for me to do but i almost have to start my day expect interruptions expect interruptions expect that god is going to speak through inter interruptions okay i'm going to expect that you're going to speak through interruptions and then that at least gives me the opportunity to possibly <laughs> do better in responding to the interruptions from my kids or from others and the really cool thing is that you're training them to, to have a nuanced understanding of why rules exist in the first place. They're not blindly following them for fear that they're going to get in trouble if they don't. They kind of understand like, no, everything, everything that I can get in trouble for, there's a reason for that. And when you train your kids like that, the way that that infects impacts the way they look at the rest of the rest of their lives. You know, when they see all of these rules around them and they see these perceived rules, like think of how many people have changed the world because they questioned they question the rules, you know, and not necessarily the, the moral rules, but just even like societal norms, like this is the way we do things. You know, mm -hmm. if you're training your children to see these as guidelines for more harmonious living or for, for like there's a reason behind everything, then they're going to search for that. And there are going to be times where your kids are going to find things that they don't understand what the reason behind it is. And they're going to actually be able to push for growth in that area. Yeah. I, and I think that there's, 
really good examples of that. Uh, Maria likes to bring up the story of the family every year that they would get their turkey ready. And as they were getting it ready, um, they put it on the pan, they would stuff it, and then they would cut off both ends of the turkey and they'd put it in uh, put it in the oven. And it, this had gone on for like over a decade. And then at one point, some of the, a new person in the family said, you know, like, why do you cut off the end of the turkey? And uh, the people said, well, that's just how we were taught to do it. Like, we don't know. And they eventually got a hold of grandma and said, like, why do we cut off the end of the, the turkey? And the reason why is because the grandma's oven was too small. And they'd always have to cut off the end of the turkey with her oven to get it to fit. And so here's like just a way of doing things that got questioned. And there was, there was you know, when you understood why the, the rule was there, then it changed the dynamic. Like, well, we can do this differently. And I think there's even a, you know, a clear spiritual message in that. In the Jewish faith, there's a prohibition against drinking, drinking blood. And so when Christ came out and said, you know, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you don't have life within you. Um, so following the rules, then that's totally offensive and it goes against God. But then uh, if you look at it deeper, you realize, wow, there's something different about God's blood. Um, and so in that case, you break the rule and it's okay to drink his blood. So again, I, I think that that well, points- What I heard about that from a, a symbolic level was that back, especially in, in those, those times, drinking the blood of your enemy was like taking their power and putting it inside of you. And so pagans would literally drink the like eat the heart of their of their enemies who they had just destroyed so that they could have their strength with inside them. And so when the apostles had their first communion, that was the first time they had ever had the blood of any other being inside of them. And it was the divine, you know, body wow. and blood of Christ who was right there. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think that that gets to the point is that with every rule, rules are important and rules are helpful, but we always need to know the reason behind them so that we can get the wisdom from the rule, but not be tripped up in the specifics if the specifics um, really don't apply in a certain situation. That's all we have time for today. If you like what you've heard on the podcast, please subscribe leave a five-star review and encourage your friends and family to do the same. If you want to support the work of Strong Catholic Dad, you can become a monthly sponsor for as little as $5 a month. I quit my job back in 2018 uh, to found Strong Catholic Dad, and as of right now, it's not enough to pay the bills. So anything that you can do is appreciated. Until next time, be strong in faith, strong in hope, and strong in love. God bless.